Good evening. If you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. I won't really be preaching tonight. Uh, I'm just going to give you, a, a, what is it, a lesson, a teaching? I don't know exactly how to describe it, but I want to explain to you the Old Testament concept uh, of a family or a house, what we see in the Old Testament as far as a family and a house uh, is concerned. Now, the family structure that we see in the Old Testament is actually quite is, is substantially different uh, to the way that we operate as Western Australians. Uh, so I think this will be a help to most. Uh, so let's read, and then we'll pray. Uh, read with me from verse 15. Let's read from verse 15. It says, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shipra, and the other was Pua. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a, st- a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives, and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing, and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively, and are delivered ere the midwives come in unto them. Therefore God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. Houses. Uh, Let's pray. We give you thanks, our Lord and our God, for this night that you've given us to come into your house, to sing your praises, uh, to lift our prayers before you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to open your word now, and pray you'd teach us from it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So what we read here is an attempt at genocide uh, by the Egyptians. Uh, This is, I call this the slow boat to genocide. Uh, The Israelites were growing in number. Uh, The Egyptians were getting very worried about the number of them that were there, like, are these guys going to take over? Uh, So the Egyptian plan was to eliminate the people of Israel, but on the installment plan, on the slow boat. So rather than go in and kill every single male and every single uh, female and every child, uh, what they would just do is, as male children were born to the Israelites, kill the males, and so the females will be left, uh, the Israelite females will have no... Israelite males to marry with, so naturally they're going to marry some option that comes around, uh, and that way you end up with all the Israelite stuff, uh, eventually they're all married into your culture, you get all their gear, but you don't have them seeing themselves as a people, you have essentially uh, exterminated them. Um, and the Lord defeated this, he used the courage of a pair of midwives, we have their names, one was called Shifra and the other was Pua, and they refused to follow this instruction to kill the male babies. Uh, and they even went so far as they, they cooked up a story that they were going to tell Pharaoh, which is, we just can't get in there. We go in there, we go, oh, oh, boy's already out. Oh, well, too bad. That was their story. It wasn't true. Uh, they weren't just slamming them out like that. There still would have been eight-hour labors. Uh, they just wouldn't show up till it was done. And they'd come in and say, oh, Mr. Boy, what do you know? Uh, and they told the Pharaoh that. It was a lie, but that's what they told him. Uh, and God gave these ladies a reward. He gave them a reward, a really nice one. Read verse 21 again with me. Verse 21, and what did God give them? He made them houses. He made them houses. Uh, Now, I hope when you read that, you're not thinking that God built them some lovely four-bedroom, two-bathroom, double-lock-up garage physical buildings for them to live in. That is not what he gave them. Uh, That's not what it means when it says he made them houses. What it means is that he built them houses in the sense, when we say something like uh, the house of York or the house of Lancaster, or we talk about the house of David, Uh, What it means is that God established the children and the grandchildren of these ladies into a large, successful, cohesive family line, uh, that they became a recognizable house. Uh, 
If I said that, you know, I've got a friend and he's from the house of Sword, well, all of you would understand, ah, okay, so he's related to the royal family in Saudi Arabia. You, you, would, you would get what I mean when I said the house of Sword. It's not like there's one building and they're all in it. They have many, many, many buildings. Uh, and that's what happened. That's the kind of house that God made for these ladies, a powerful and a cohesive house. Now, I need you to keep that concept in your mind as we look at the Old Testament concept of families because that's what the ultimate aim was for men in Old Testament times, the establishment of a house. Uh, it wasn't just mum and dad sharing the same tent with 2.5 kids until the kids hit 18 and headed out on a camel to do a bit of study in Damascus before one settled in Rome and another in Athens and they got together every five years at a reunion and talked about, my, how the cousins were all growing up and uh, have, you know, talk about your plans to travel around the Sinai in a caravan when you get a bit older. That was not... That was not the plan for these people. Now, we recognize that. We say, hey, I've seen that before. That's the, the life script for Aussies. Uh, but that was far from the goal and far from the setup that we see in the Old Testament. Uh, so what was this setup? Well, let's, let's run through it and then we'll be done. Uh, we'll talk about the ideal setup and the aim of that ideal setup. Uh, and then we'll talk about the downsides. It wasn't all roses. So, and then uh, I might just make a few applications, some things to, to, to take away from it, and we'll be done. Okay, so the goal for the man, for the father, uh, was to either propagate and lead a successful, prosperous family line or house if they were born into one. So if you were born into a really good house, well, son, you've got to carry on the family name and you, you keep this rolling. Uh, so keep it going if you were born into a good one. Or if you weren't, then your goal was to forge one, was to create a house and a line and a name for yourself that would continue. Uh, so as men, uh, you would have a house that you led and you would raise up your sons and daughters but they wouldn't automatically go when they came of age. They wouldn't automatically depart. Uh, the whole house actually succeeded or failed as a unit, as a collective. Uh, it was very dangerous to be on your own in this culture. I was reading a man the other day talking about this Japanese superstar, and uh, he said, when I was very young, 13, I wanted to go and, and live in America. So my parents sent me when I was 14. Actually, it was a lady, it was a girl. And the man pointed out, he said, you realize, for most of human history, no one would ever send a 14-year-old girl on her own to a place with no family into another culture. He says, actually, a testimony to what has been established there in the States, the people from other cultures would say, well, that's a safe bet. This will work out fine for me. That, that is not how it has gone for most of history. Uh, people that were not your family did not look out for you. You didn't want to be a stranger alone on your own, uh, away from family in a different culture. That was what was, well, basically was suicide. Um, so families would stay together as much as they could. And they would try to reap all the benefits that proximity uh, would give them. Uh, and this is why Joshua could confidently state what was going to happen in his house. Uh, Joshua was the patriarch of his family, and he was responsible for its leadership. And the verse that we all know and we all love, very famous, Joshua 24, 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, uh, choose this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods of your father, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was the last word in his house. And that included Josh, that included his wife, his children. Uh, and even sometimes it would get down to his children's children. The same applied to Abraham. God chose him because he knew Abraham was going to wield his position as the head of that house, as the patriarch. God knew he was going to use that for good. Uh, he said this of Abraham. He said, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, 
that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Uh, this is also why Abraham kept referencing the fact that he left his father's house in Haran. That's actually a risky business back in the day. When you ditch dad and everything that dad has to offer and you go out on your own. So when the Lord called him and said, Abraham, come out, it wasn't like after we finish up in Rocky and move down to Brisbane. Ah, uh, that's, I'm going to have to start afresh here. That was a really big deal for Abraham to have done that. Everybody was actually, culturally, you were supposed to stay close and you were supposed to support each other. That's why when Jesus called a man to follow him, the man said, well, well, um, look, first, I'll, I will, just let me, bury, let me bury my father. Now, his dad wasn't even dead. It's not, it was a funeral coming in three days and I'll be there, Lord. Uh, in his culture, you, you're not really 100% your own man until dad's passed away. He, he leads the family. He is the patriarch of the family. And one day it will be your turn when dad's gone. And so he was just saying, well, when my family business is finished up, I'll come and do this. And basically that man was picking his culture's family set up over Jesus. And Jesus said, big mistake, big mistake. Um, but that was, that was the culture. Uh, and as a man's family grew, uh, so did that man's influence and his prosperity. It was, it was intimately tied to your family. Uh, every daughter that that man had, that he then, when he arranged a marriage with another family, if that was another prosperous, powerful family, he's forged a link there uh, with that family. So look after your daughters, get them a good husband in another family. Now our families can work together. We have a tie. And every son, once he gets to that ability to contribute financially, you say, oh, well, obviously he heads out and moves off and does his own thing. Well, well no, he would actually stay in his father's house and he would work with his dad and he would contribute financially to the house. Uh, now, if that man came from a good family, then he would have already done his time working for his father, prospering the family business, whatever that was. Let's say it was, maybe it was cattle, maybe it was crops, maybe it was training. Uh, and in return for him working for his dad, his dad would help set him up. Uh, his dad would start uh, training, training his sons for leadership. He would have tried to have got the best wife he could for his son. Uh, he would have helped him get his flock up and going. He would have helped him out with material things like food or clothes, maybe get him a coat of many colors, what could go wrong. Uh, and that boy would just not walk out of dad's house at 18 and start afresh from zero. No, no, he would labor in his father's house with dad. He worked for his dad, but his dad set him up. Do you understand why that, why that would work for these guys? Like, I, I think in my own family. Uh, we have, there's five children in my family. Uh, but I was just thinking the other day, if you combined my father's income and then the incomes of myself and my two other brothers and their wives together, uh, you're looking at well in excess of half a million plus per year in financial amount coming in. Now, these guys would all live together. Let's say they're all living off two-thirds of that. You've got an extra $200,000 a year that could be distributed if, if we'd all hung with Dad and Dad was managing the lot. You can understand how these lads ended up with a lot of flocks, a lot of land, a lot, lot, of, lot of houses, and then you stuck with Dad because one day when, you know, Dad's building this little empire, sure, but then one day when Dad passes on, he passes it to you. So you're working in it, but it's not just Dad building something for him, he's building something for everyone. The whole house prospers together. I remember Pastor Lloyd telling us the example of uh, that Jewish street in Israel where all of them piled on and built one house and you had all these relatives living in one house and then they built the guy's ne house next door. That's, that was just the way that they think. It's not a Western way of thinking. Um, but they were expanding their house, expanding um, the whole thing. So uh, as dad's strength starts to fail, as dad gets older and he starts to tap out, well, his sons start to take over in the family business. And if their father had led them well, then the ones that could cooperate and work together would do so, particularly 
the firstborn son was sort of primed for the major leadership position. Uh, and some of the sons would work together with him, and th those guys would have something going. Uh, if you couldn't really work uh, terribly well with dad, then maybe a couple of sons would go and pursue another line of business nearby, but they wouldn't all scatter to the four winds. Uh, they would all stay quite close to each other um, so, they could, so they could help each other in their extended families. Uh, and they retained the same name, and they would look out for each other, uh, but now every man becomes the head of his own household once his father passes away. And the cycle repeats, and, and this cycle of the household was identity, uh, it was prosperity, it was dependence. You understand, if you, you can understand that system, and you can understand why they would list off their genealogy. It mattered to them greatly. They all lived together, they all had a name, they all came from someone. They were all very much had a vested interest in what their son was doing and what their grandson was doing. They were very interested in that. We, we may laugh at the hierarchies and, the, and the, you know, this guy begat this guy, like whatever, because uh, we're like, eh, I'll be forgotten one day like great granddad is. Uh, that's, not, that's not how these guys thought. They were building a household. They were building a name. Um, but there was, a lot, there was a lot in it. It was prosperity. It was defense. Remember when Lot was taken away captive? Lot heads down to Sodom and he gets taken away captive. Well, there was no police force to call up. Who bailed Lot out? Abraham bailed Lot out. Now, Abraham had no sons, but he had prospered. He did have 200 men that drew the sword. So you've taken Lot. Now, you remember, Abraham and Lot split because they were fighting together, but family's family for these chaps. So Abraham goes and he brings Lot back. Living together was prosperity. The man with many sons and many servants and many daughters married into other families was part of a network that essentially acted like an army. Uh, and if you didn't want to run with that system, uh, then you were going to be prey for other houses that did. The house with three guys in it living beside the house with 15 sons. I can tell you who's going to be giving the orders around that place, and it won't be Mr. Three Sons guy. Uh, you can understand also why in that culture, ladies, they wanted daughters, they wanted sons, they wanted lots of kids. That was their, that was their contribution, and they got the reward of seeing their family prosper as a unit. Um, this was survival. And as your family, as your house grew, and there ended up being dozens of relatives all living in the same area, uh, then your house also became a major factor as far as welfare was concerned. Uh, you get a very sick man, as a man without a family or sons, well, you're in a lot of trouble. Uh, but if you're in a large, successful house, then they all help you out when you're sick. Uh, and without them, you basically died like a dog in the street. Uh, so family was, was extremely important. It was also political. It was power. Uh, as your house expanded and prospered, then you became a political force to be reckoned with. Uh, you did not wish to go up against the house of Job when the house of Job was at its peak. You didn't. It was a big mistake. I'll give you a verse from Proverbs, and I hope... This will make a bit more sense to you now. It says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. It was political power. I know some people try to take that verse and say, well, that's why every Aussie should have 15 kids. You'll, just, you'll be happy, see? It says you'll be happy. Uh, no, no, it's talking about the establishing of a household, building lots, having lots of children, but then using that as a collective force for your family. And uh, if you say, well, a good thing, that doesn't go on any today, any, uh, at all today, uh, try suing a Kennedy. Try suing a Rockefeller. People say, well, what are you doing, mate? You've bled that politician and that politician, and you're making a big mistake. They have deep pockets. You don't want to go there. You don't want to do that. The gate was the position of political power, and that was also where legal disputes were settled. And so going up against the house of Job, politically or legally, would have been as smart as suing a Kennedy or a Rockefeller. You do not mess with those families, with those houses. They were well-resourced. It wasn't a good idea. And that's the system that you were looking at there in the Old Testament when you read about Abraham 
and Isaac and Jacob. Some of these families grew so extensive that you really couldn't call them a house anymore. You actually would call them a tribe or a nation. They, they were that cohesive as a group. Uh, it's where we get dynasties. It's where we get lines from. It's where we get houses of power from. And, and I hope that helps you to understand uh, the Bible a bit better. Maybe the story of the prodigal son would take on a new dimension for you. Uh, when I first read that story, I thought the problem was booze and ladies. I mean, the, the son took all the, the inheritance, sure. He headed off a long way away. Uh, and if only he hadn't get trapped in riotous living, uh, this could have had a happy ending, could have established himself there. Everything would be rosy, right? Well, not really. By, by that young man saying to his dad, give me the inheritance, uh, I'm moving somewhere else. He's actually rejecting his entire family and punching out and saying, uh, look, he's basically spitting on his family and saying, I'm not going to be here to help you. I don't want to have anything to do with any of you guys. In fact, the only thing you guys have that I want uh, is money, which I don't have, usually have to wait till you're dead, but just give it to me now and I'm out. Uh, and away he went. Away he went. He wasn't going to be there to contribute to defense. He wasn't going to be there when dad was getting frail. Uh, they were dead to him, give him his money and he's out. Uh, and all that comes into focus once you understand the standard aim of the Old Testament house structure. That was a really horrific thing to do back there, which made the father's re uh, receipt of the son make, uh, be so offensive to the Jews. They, they'd heard stories like that before. There was a Jewish fable that went very similarly to that story, except the father, when he comes back, tells him, get lost, that's what you get, son. You want to reject the family? You're on your own, mate. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think you can understand a bit there. It's not just the fact uh, that he blew it all. Uh, it's the rejection of the family as a whole. In fact, if you were here tonight and you know somebody from like a Middle Eastern or an Asian background, this family structure I'm describing to you uh, may seem more than a little familiar. You, you may have seen that before. The idea of every family being an isolated unit cut off from the rest of the family and catching up at family reunions is not the standard for the majority of cultures around the world, even to today. It is not the standard. Aussies will say stuff like this. They'll say, why do they immigrate here and all congregate in exactly the same area? Like that's unusual. Like it's just normal to come and just spread out rather than hang with your family and people that are like you and that will help you and that you can all prosper together. It's madness. The idea of ditching your family and spreading out is utterly foreign to most cultures because they don't want to lose that benefits of working together as a house. And as a family, well, they do, they'll, they'll come, they'll earn money, and then what's the first thing that happens? I'll, I'll get my relative from over there, and they'll come, and then we'll all prosper together. And that's their line of thinking. And it's actually a lot closer to the Old Testament model than the way that we currently run at the moment. I mean, in the United States, they say much of the donut industry is run by Cambodians. Uh, if you can get work in Dad's Dunkin' Donuts, then, then you're away as a young Cambodian. And if you can't get along with Dad, well, you go work with your uncle for a little while, and then eventually he upgrades his equipment, he gives you his old equipment, and he's like, well, just start one over there in that suburb. And before you know it, Dunkin' Donuts everywhere, Cambodians everywhere, and they're all looking after each other, and they're all advancing the cause of their house. Uh, it's a lot closer to the Old Testament model than our Western model is. Now, I don't want you to think that that Old Testament model was just all roses. Like, if only, if only we, we were doing just that, all our problems would be gone. Uh, it wasn't. It, it had humans in it, so you got a, the full variety, the full scope. Uh, under that system, there was a great shortcut available to you if you really wanted to kickstart your family and advance some power in a real hurry. It was called polygamy. Uh, Mr. Barnes has described how well shortcuts can go. Polygamy was one. I mean, you have one woman. She's only putting out maybe one to two children a year. Uh, she's got 
a good 15 years in her, and what if she dies? But you put together three ladies, now you can start slamming out sons like there's no tomorrow, and the prosperity of your house increases in rapid short order. It was a, a, a strategy. You might, we, we can laugh. This has been normal for longer than it has not been normal. I'm not recommending it, but that's what you had. Uh, you can, yeah, and that's, that's, that's basically situations that end up with, uh, you know, that can lead to all sorts of things, like Joseph getting chucked down the well. Uh, I mean, he was their brother, but he was the brother from another mother. <laughs> and that was not a positive thing. That's why he went down and the others were still up there. Uh, that They'd formed a natural break point in your family, a natural place for rifts to congregate. It was not a good idea, uh, but it did advance your, your family's prosperity in a real home. Uh, you had situations in the Old Testament where dad was great, but then he only had one son, and the son just didn't have the leadership skills to hold all that together, or he was a wicked man, and so the whole house was destroyed. I mean, think of Abigail falling down before David, saying, don't kill us all, because her husband Nabal, the very name meant fool. He was a fool, and your whole family rose or fell on dad. Dad had a drinking problem. You all had a huge problem, a huge problem. Uh, and a, a lot rose on that father as the patriarch. Even uh, sons from the same mother could end up in a fight. I mean, think of Esau and Jacob, same womb, came out of the same womb. And, you know, a, a good father, he set up all his sons, but still the firstborn son did get the lion's share and was probably going to get most of it. Uh, and so that family broke down and Jacob had to leave and he had to start again almost from scratch and then Esau married two women that his mother couldn't stand. Uh, we have an example of that man that came to Jesus and he said, speak to my brother that he, he splits the inheritance with me. So dad's died, the sons have been working together, now dad's gone and one son has arranged it so he gets a lot and his brother gets nothing. Uh, so it's, it's, it's no guarantee of family panacea. No, no guarantee. This tale of human misery is as old of, as Adam. And it will not stop until Jesus returns. And not for no reason did Jesus warn this and say, And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Shall not stand. However, I do think there is something here for us as, as Westerners to just consider carefully what, why they did what they did and if there's anything we can learn from this. There are many things that the Bible teaches that fit more with that culture than with our setup. Just, it, it naturally flows in that culture. It still works in ours because it's from the Bible, but ours is not set up to align with it. Not set up to align with it. Many things that the Bible teaches fits and naturally flows with that Old Testament structure, with the building of a house and with proximity. And that does bring some tangible benefits that I do think is worth considering. So I'll put it before you. First of all, uh, the leadership of the man in the home fits naturally within that system. It fits naturally. Marriage is not just two random individuals that happen to like each other. And so they set out to try and hang out as long as they can uh, together. Uh, the man has the leadership of the family to what end? To the establishing of the house, to the furthering and prospering of the house. So uh, his wife isn't submitting to him just so that he doesn't have to get off the couch and get a glass of camel's milk. Uh, she's submitting to his leadership so, so that he can prosper the house. He can drive that forward just as in a business, everybody submits to the CEO so the business can prosper and we can all go forward. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, his establishing of a house provided a very basic need for his wife. Women desire family and security, much to the disappointment of feminists everywhere. But they do. They desire family and security. So as the husband prospers the house, uh, then he's creating more and more incentives for her children 
to wish to remain nearby, to want to stick around. Because if dad's doing really well, uh, and you know, this is probably uh, this is probably something you want to be around rather than, ah, oh, this is a bust, I'm out of here. Uh, and parents do want that. They do want their kids around. And I remember my mum, uh, was one by one, our kids graduated from hi uh, high school, and we instantly left and went down to, to Brisbane. And nobody taught us to do that. That's just what you do. You don't stay alone with your parents. Goodness. It, that was, it, I, wasn't, I couldn't say I was raised that way, but that was just what I absorbed. And I remember mum saying, well, when the last one was coming up to leave, she said, well, I'll have to move to Brisbane. And I said, oh, well, I'll have to move to Sydney. You know, it, it, it just didn't follow that I would be in the same city as these people. I, I had never considered that that was a, something that she would want. Um, it just didn't enter, my, enter my, my way of thinking. But it does. It matters a lot. It matters greatly uh, to ladies' family and security. Um, so as the husband prospers the house, there's more incentive for her children to remain nearby. Just in terms of physical benefits alone, that's before you get into natural family loyalties and the emotional ties that are formed. It provides for a basic need that men have as well. Uh, men are drawn to achievement and the acknowledgement of achievement in terms of respect. It matters to men, uh, whether you like it or not. The Old Testament family model did provide that, but it tied achievement and respect to the home not to an external workplace outside the home. And for a man, that, that achievement and that respect actually increased his entire life. You started out as a young bloke with not a whole heap, but your dad was helping you out. And by the time you were ready to kick off, that you got, you've got everything that you've put together, you've got your sons and they're all going great, you've got your daughters all married off, your family's all together. Um, sweet. You, you basically hit the pinnacle uh, of your life at the end. Uh, and right at the time that dad realizes that he can't keep up with the young bucks on the tools anymore. Well, there's his sons that are just hitting their stride, and now he's rejoicing in their strength and their vigor. Uh, I mean, look at Johnny and Stevie go, go, son. You know, that's my boy. Everybody, everybody in the family is winning as a group. Everybody's winning. However, in our culture, the family and achievement and success are completely separated from each other. They, they, do, not, they do not overlap. Achievement and success is something for the workplace, not for the house, and it is done individually. You don't have achievement and success with your sons. You have just achievement and success for yourself. And hopefully one day when your son leaves, he'll get it for himself. Uh, but that's just the way it goes. Your sons and your daughters play zero part in it. Problem with that is your ability to achieve at work actually diminishes over time. It goes down. And this is doubly so if you labor with your hands rather than doing non-work work of pushing around pens and computers. Uh, you'll start to notice that around 45, 50, at that point, you can't keep up with the young bucks anymore, uh, but actually your value to your employer is diminishing. It becomes harder to get a job. As technology starts to take over more and more jobs, more technology starts to come into the job, and you, your mind isn't as adaptable and quick, as quick as it used to be. Um, so unless you have a profession, or, uh, then, then your value to your employer starts to decrease at that stage. Uh, and if you chuck in tech replacing jobs or job requirements that men can't handle, right around that point when a man's hitting that, 45 to 50, it's at that point that his children leave his house. They go off and they start their own. Which unsurprisingly corresponds to the same time that a lot of divorces go down. And then we look around and we say, goodness, there are a lot of chaps committing suicide right now. I wonder, I wonder how that's happened. What should we do about this? I know what you should do. Give him hell from the pulpit, Brother Josh. 
you know, tell them the Bible says that suicide is wrong. Well, I come second to no man in my criticism of suicide. But that other system did provide some very practical, very tangible benefits to men that have been ripped out from underneath them. You transition at that age from being a bloke who can get stuff done at work to, well, what is the common description for the older man in Australia? Something to do with silly, something to do with old, something to do with flaccid. You crater in terms of respect, achievement, and family life at that age. And I don't have a perfect solution for you, but I'm just going to suggest that there's something systemic going on here, and it's just a bit more than, well, you know, sin happens and, and these, things, the, these things just go down. The same thing goes for having children. The Bible may say, go forth and multiply, and we can stand here and we can preach and say children are a blessing of the Lord and a heritage, and it's good to have many children. And we can preach that as long as you want, but under the current system where every man for himself at 18 goes, there is very little tangible benefits. People say this, kids say this to me at school. What do I want to have kids for? I mean, I've got to pay for their education, and then they won't even like me, and they'll be off. You know, what's, what's, I'd rather just play with my toys. I've had like a 12-year-old boy saying that, oh, you know, and then well, I don't want to get married, she'll just get awesome. Um, and, and I, you know, you, you tell them what the Bible says, but there is some practical realities backing that line of thinking. Uh, children are painful for their mother to deliver, they are very expensive to raise, and in our system there is very little return on that. Well, physically there is none. Uh, there is some emotionally, um, but... They're just, they're, you can understand why under the Old Testament system, lots of children was just nothing but pluses. Nothing but pluses. Everybody was a winner there, unless mum died in childbirth, which was a very real risk, but they were completely willing to run that. Um, now, you may not like me, me putting it across like that, but, but our, our sub-replacement birth rate that we have in our country, that did not come from nowhere. That did not just appear from nowhere. And... And in every country that we've seen with that sub-replacement birth rate, sooner or later somebody comes along who does not have a sub-replacement birth rate. So this Old Testament system that I'm describing to you, I'm just putting it to you that it may be coming to a suburb near you whether you like it or not. There are people, in fact I would say the majority of the world, that do not have our approach, and this model may be coming closer than you would think. And lastly, and there is a lot more to say here, but I, this is a good end point, it does establish a very long-term way of thinking about your family and your marriage choices. I mean, she may be very good-looking, uh, but is she the kind of lady you want to build a house with? Well, that's a very different, um, different set of criteria to be looking for as opposed to, well, hopefully I'll just find some Sheila that's fun and we can hang out and we'll just get along just fine. Uh, but it leads to this, this looking a lot further down the track. Uh, and, and as a parent, it, it changes the way that you look at your children. They were thinking about their relationships with their sons and daughters, not just in terms of, well, I've got to get through 18 years of this, and then out you go. <laughs> Let's catch up every, you know, for a family reunion every now and then. Uh, but they were thinking in terms of, I've got to work with this guy, and I've I, I got to, you know, I, we've got to go forward as a whole family. And this is, like, they thought about it in those terms, in very long-term uh, long approaches. And it ties in nicely uh, with the teaching from Proverbs. It says, a good man leaveth an inheritance... To his children's children. He's thinking down that far ahead. Down that far ahead. So I hope you can take this in the spirit it's meant tonight. I'm not saying that, you know, there's a Daniel diet in the Bible and I found it, so we've all got to drop everything and start eating wholesome veggies and go out and have a tent with camels and 55 kids. I'm not saying that this is the Christian model that everybody must now adopt. I just wanted to put before your mind uh, the Old Testament model that is there, the old, that model which is also used by a lot of other cultures in the world. 
And then I wanted, wanted you to understand that so you could understand your Bible, but I also wanted to put it before you just to consider what we do and why we do what we do and what we assume to be normal. Uh, does that line up with the Bible? Is there something we could learn from that? Well, it's before you tonight. Let's pray, brethren, we're done. We give you thanks to our Lord and our God that uh, our hope is not tied just to our earthly families, Lord, but it's tied to our membership in your family. Thank you that you are our Father, that you have given us your name, uh, that we are a part of your house and that we'll serve and worship you forever. Lord, we do ask and pray that you would have mercy upon us as we lead our families in, in, uh, in your ways. Uh, teach us what we ought to do, we ask and pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.